So I want to start with uh, a Bible question. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to just ease you in. <laughs> Is there a connection between what Romans 12 talks about with the renewal of the mind mm. and this theme of paradise that you're tracing? Mm. Most definitely, yes. Go on. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> um, the, the word that Paul uses in his language uh, is the word metamorpho. It's a verb in Greek, and you, sh- you know what it means because we have the word in English too, uh, metamorphosis. So in other words, Paul's assumption is that the human mind is a very malleable, plastic-like thing that can be morphed and shaped into viewing reality in ways that are deeply untrue. And so he, what he's talking about, oh, and actually all of the yous in that passage are plural, y'all's mind. Um, so in a communal setting, we can actually reshape our mind and our experience of reality by the ways we operate as a community and the habits of life and mind and heart that we embrace. And so, um, and that's the intro to Romans 12, which is the, the most practical collection of like how to treat each other as followers of Jesus in that whole letter. It's very powerful. And that's exactly, he's talking about a communal set of life habits together that will begin to reshape your view of reality and around the person of the risen Jesus in the presence of the Spirit. So that would, that could be a whole cool thing to explore, but I, I think that is exactly what, what Paul's after. There. Yeah, that's fascinating. I have, I, I have, that gives language to many experiences I've had <laughs> in communities of believers where yes. I felt that my view of reality was being reshaped through those very things. Yes. It's so helpful. Um, Sorry, can, yeah. So let, let's think about an example. Um, like, so in Romans 12, he talks about like conflict resolution mm-hmm. um, within the, the family of Jesus. So um, has anyone had a conflict with another person before? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone had a conflict with another person in their church before? <laughs> so that's such a good example because like, okay, there's a normal way that our bodies are most, have mostly shaped through time to respond to those situations and you write, you write someone off and you can just be done with it. Um, but what if you're in a community that refuses to acknowledge that that's a legitimate way to be a human being? <laughs> And the, the normal way to be a human being isn't necessarily that we can reconcile and be best friends and we'll make life memories together. But what if you could live together in peace with that person in your community and come to a place where you see them as an image of God and pray for blessing in their life? What if that's normal reality in the kingdom of God? And that's what he's talking about. Is that, I mean, and that's what you're describing. It's a way of existing that is counterintuitive, but it, it, it's all based on, well, what is normal? Mm-hmm. And what's the default way we, we should live and, and treat each other? So that's an example. Yeah, in the language of psychology, it is dealing with those shields of trauma mm-hmm. that you were talking about before, mm-hmm. so that you rewrite neural pathways, mm-hmm. reform attachment patterns, and become more in touch with the realist reality. Yeah rather than the one of your creation. Yeah. And the, the view of the biblical authors would be that takes place within a local church community mm-hmm. 
in the most profound way. Yeah, I, I don't know how on earth I could ever accomplish something like that on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just not, not even in just like a spiritual sense, but just like, and I think a normal, any psychologist would tell you that too, mm-hmm. you know. Which, which, which I'm not trying to reduce the Bible to psychology. It's more like saying there are insights that psychology has about the nature of the human condition that just is the way that it is because that's just how reality is. Which, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So next question. A lot of what you're describing sounds eerily similar to what I guess would be called throughout Christian history as mystical experience. Mm-hmm. So is mystical experience in prayer essential mm. for the Christian life? Mm. Or is it optional? Is it bonus, <laughs> yeah. essentially? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, um, if by bonus... Um, Man, this is so nerdy. I don't know why I know this. I can't wait. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Latin fluently. I did have to take a semester in grad school. But the word bonus is the Latin word bonum, which means gift. Um, so if by bonus we mean that it's a gift, and it is something that can't be presumed upon, but can be hoped for, and received as a gift when it happens, then I think that is exactly the right word to describe the experience. It's a gift, yeah? yeah. Um, Amen. And, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> the word mystical is an English spelling of the Greek word mustikos, which is related to our, our Greek word mus, musteria. It just means hidden, a reality that's there but that's veiled from view. And so if by that, mystical, you mean becoming aware of a thing that I can't see with my five senses, but is really there, then I don't know what else you would call being a Christian except being a mystic, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You shared about the head and the heart coming together. I've I've gotten... The head and the heart? Yeah, coming together, you know... Maybe it would help if you talk about the crab, um, but, but, but for you, how did you begin to encourage that process? Or maybe the right terminology is, how did you partner with God in that process? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone just honestly asking a question like, how do I encourage my head and heart to come together? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's an important question. Well, uh, one thing that I struggle with in live Q&R environments is um, I always think of the good thing to say like the next day. <laughs> uh, and so that's a really important we'll, question. We'll post it on our Instagram tomorrow. <laughs> Just text me in the morning. That's right. yeah. <laughs> um, so my experience over the last year and a half, as I tried to describe it, was reaching a place of dissatisfaction and sadness that compelled me into a place of openness to something new, but that I didn't know what it might be. And that was, I think, somehow a key part of that journey for me. And um, also being married to um, uh, a really remarkable human being um, who has been on a journey of emotional health and self-awareness that I have gotten to witness firsthand and so it's begun to give me language and categories for, for ways to process my life experience more than just through my head. 
And that means becoming aware of these things that actually fill our bodies every day. They're called emotions. <laughs> and you can not just think about them, you can actually like have them. <laughs> and like have them happen to you. And, uh, uh, and that's been, a, to be honest, a part of it. And I, so I, that's what I mean. Oh, yes, so the crab. So um, uh, an image that came into my mind that I shared with you early on in this was that I felt like, um, you know, a, a year and a half ago, um, much like what a, a fiddler crab looks like. Do you guys know fiddler crabs? Certain species of crab. They're not huge, um, but they have uh, one like super hyper developed, huge like claw, big grabber, and so on. And then they have this one like super tiny <laughs> one. And it makes sense how something like that would develop. It's like crush your enemies and attract mates, and it makes sense, you know, for why a fiddler crab would be that way. So, but um, so apart from that, but just how the creature looks is really. Bizarre, you're like that's fundamentally imbalanced as a as a creature, um, and I, I've, my son I was actually really into these crabs and thought they're really interesting. And it struck me one day, it's like, oh, like that's me. <laughs> um, I have hyper invested in one pathway of engaging my human person, to my mind, to um, relate to Jesus, and that's like you can go far, and it's important to engage that part. But uh, I just have all these other parts of my human person, not just in relation to Jesus, but in, re in my relationships and in my marriage and in my family that are just underdeveloped as a person. And that was so helpful to me to realize it's not like I just have the spiritual part of my life that's underdeveloped. It's like this is about me, my whole person. And so it, that, alongside all of these experiences has been growth that I've been trying to go on in just learning how to cultivate emotional awareness. And, and alongside that, I have found that my awareness of divine presence has like followed alongside in that, in that journey. And um, my hope is that the, you know, the arms are becoming a, a, little more, a little more like a Dungeness crab, right? <laughs> like, uh, uh, but I guess my point is it's not compartmentalized to like the Jesus part of my life. It's really about my growing as a whole image of God per person. And I have a hunch that that is a part of how the journey just works in, in, in general. One more Bible question, and then we'll end with the practical one. So in, there are instances in the Gospels where Jesus is depicted as in anguish, in mm. sorrow, mm. Uh, in suffering, mm. the most famous of which would be the Garden of Gethsemane. In a garden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how does, yeah. how does that connect to the idea of paradise? Mm. In that garden, was Jesus surrounded by huckleberries? What, what does that mean? Yeah. This, yep. Yeah. He was surrounded by olives. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't mean that for to, to be funny. <laughs> I honestly thought it was a brilliant rhetorical technique while you mold the <laughs> yes, question over. Buy, buying time. Yeah. Buying time. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's, this, there's this fundamental tension uh, within the biblical story that's the, the imagery of being exiled outside of Eden is a really key image. Being in the garden, in the middle, 
with the tree of life, walking with the wind and the fiery presence of God. That's, that's the one idea. Oh, perfect. Here, could we talk about it afterwards? That would be really cool. Yeah, cool. If we could talk about that afterwards, that would be super cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, brother. Yeah, let's, let's follow that up afterwards. I would totally be down for that. Um, so we have this image of being in, in the Garden of Eden as being in the center. And then you have this image of being outside of Eden in the land of dust, in, in the land of death. And so this is why, these, especially the Jacob story is so important. Because as he's sitting in anguish, not knowing if his family relationships will ever be healed, if he's ever, ever able to go back home, um, the, the presence of God with him that appears in that Eden moment, like it doesn't do anything to solve his problems, um, but he does, what he has is this awareness that the paradise is, is with him. And it doesn't feel like it, but it's, it's a choice. Um, and to me, that's just a, a really helpful paradigm. And even when Jesus is reconciling himself to the will of the Father in that moment, um, that's not the moment where he feels alone. Like he's, he's talking to my Father. Like he's having <laughs> a conversation with his Father in that moment of anguish. And so I, I think probably it's, it's less about is God present or is he absent, but um, what does it mean to embrace that there are huckleberries around me and my palate is so wounded by the pain that I'm in, I'm not able to taste them in the full capacity that I would if I was in the new creation. And that doesn't mean they're not available, I guess. I'm trying to use metaphors, because what else can you use to describe these moments? But it's clearly a choice. In fact, I know that there's a lot of people in this room right now who could actually answer that question with a lot more wisdom uh, than I could, because you're you're in the, the moment of Jacob and outside of Eden. And I know lots of people in this community who were choosing to believe that there are, sorry, how that there are signs of God's goodness around them, even when it doesn't feel like it. And um, that's a really important habit to form uh, if we want to join Jesus uh, in the garden, it seems to me. Yeah, I think I would also just add and it's been my experience that the work of God, the goodness of God, is sometimes, sometimes visible in the present, like the huckleberry moment, right? But it is frequently recognizable in hindsight. And that doesn't make going through something painful okay, but we can look back on the pain that we go through and often see where the goodness of God was sprouting here mm. and here and here along mm. the way. Mm. And it at least means that he was walking every step of it with us yes. with a sign that our pain will not have the final word mm-hmm. and that the goodness of God traces every step we walk mm-hmm. and ultimately will fully enmesh us once again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, uh, G- Gerald. Has, uh, we've been talking recently about this experience of inner healing prayer, which is a, set, it's a prayer journey that you can go on with people in your community. 
And a, a big part of it is picturing sitting in paradise in a safe place and then allowing the spirit to bring to your mind a moment of, of pain that is an obstacle in you trusting Jesus. And then uh, asking if Jesus was there with you in the moment of pain. And then just setting up that experience to let Jesus meet you in that memory. And um, I'll, I'll just say, as I've heard Gerald talk about having that experience and leading many of you through that experience, that it is fundamentally transformational. And it's, it's like realizing that you were surrounded by the Eden presence of God, even in, in a moment where you felt most abandoned. And um, that's a good example of a whole person way to begin to work this view of reality out that is not just like a, a set of cool ideas on a, on a slide. So thank you, Gerald, for introducing me to that practice. You've invited me to do it, and I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm talking about it in front of everybody. What am I doing? Anyway. It's a dangerous thing to do an open q and on. Yes, you end up so. signing up for inner healing prayer very yeah. publicly. Yeah, <laughs> I said I would do it. Last, I did say I would do it. <laughs> lastly, what are some practices that might allow me to become more in tune with the reality of God's presence within me and around me, making an appeal to me all the time? Mm. Uh, how, can, how can we begin to attempt to participate with God in this, under, this biblical mm. understanding of reality. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, there are ways throughout the 2,000 years of uh, the Jesus movement of like trusted, honored practices and habits. And there are a lot of what like the leadership, you and the leadership is inviting us all into. Um, so a lot of it has to do with adopting rhythms of prayer but the trick is, is none of this is formulaic. Right. Like, it was a really long time of silent mornings, wondering, like, is any of this even real for me? And nothing felt like it was happening. But my hunch is, actually, something was happening, if what we mean by happening is I was beginning to train my soul to become aware of a reality that's there, but that is hard to see if you aren't looking for it. And so it's hard to define what success is when you're talking about the shaping of a life that way because it's just such a long game. So um, I, I feel like any of the people on our leadership team that's trying to guide us in practices of spiritual formation and practicing the way is probably the most robust response to, to that. There are probably more pieces, but it wasn't formulaic for me. Mm -hmm. But there were particular things I started doing that I wasn't doing that I think were really catalytic in my experience. Is that a, is that a non-answer? <laughs> no, I think, I think what, what you've been able to share and name is just a daily habit of quieting yourself, opening yourself to God, consenting to the work of the Spirit in your mm. inner being, and feeling like nothing's happening, and then showing up again the next day. Mm. And it seems that your story would indicate that if we give just like a creak in the door. Hmm. God's just nosy enough to hmm. 
to come <laughs> further in even than we allow him. Yeah. Uh, another one that we've corresponded about some that hasn't been named tonight, but I think might be helpful to some is uh, the practice of fasting. Yeah. You know, we, we often uh, we fast for many reasons and understand fasting many ways, but one of the things that fasting does is it sheds us of our coping mechanisms, mm. which does make us more available to the Spirit. So uh, sometimes we're accessing something that God wants to give us through a coping mechanism, through something, some way that I'm finding rest or I'm tasting like artificial paradise or I'm, I'm <laughs> getting peace, but it's because I have this substance or this habit or this evening routine or this whatever way of kind of escaping <laughs> into a place of peace for me. And that can be a thousand different things for a thousand different people. But we don't fast from sin, we fast from good things. Just good things that are occupying too much space in our inner life, where we're trying to give the Spirit more space in our inner being. So I would say that alongside just opening yourself to God in prayer, you might say, God, would you just put your finger on a good thing that is occupying space that you, that you're jealous for in my life. And, and the thing about asking God questions like that is he typically answers them. And it's typically something that you don't want to fast from. And then you have the choice of which taste do I want to cultivate more? Is it the taste I've been cultivating for this coping mechanism? Or is it a taste for huckleberries? or whatever metaphor stands for the mm. presence of the living God mm -hmm. available here.